That's actually, you know, that doesn't concern me at all, right? All right. So let's. Um, we're this, so this week, little couple little statements. We're talking about being a servant again. He hits pretty hard with some stuff here. Uh, really, what it means to be a servant to really serve people. Kind of continuing with last week, but a little bit different uh, shift with this. So roll that beautiful bean footage. As a pastor, uh, every year, it felt like my least favorite day of the year was Easter because there would be so many people coming, and I felt so much pressure, and I didn't want to disappoint them. And really, every Sunday was somewhat stressful for me because I just knew people came with so many expectations and I knew I was going to disappoint a lot of people. There was never a Sunday where I met everyone's expectations. I always knew there would be a line of people that want to talk to me and get counsel from me and everything else. And, and it was great. You know, I'd go to bed at night with joy knowing that I served and that I was exhausted and everything else. But there's other side where I just felt like I also knew I disappointed people because I could never have enough time for all of them and to meet all of their needs. It was a frustrating thing. And I never dreamt that the church could be a place where everyone came to actually give rather than receive. Like, that was just a foreign thought to me. I, I just, I couldn't even picture it. Like, 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 what if everyone came, every single person that gathered literally wanted to give more than they wanted to receive that day? That would be an incredible gathering, but that, that, that was like an impossibility in my mind. And then realize that's actually what God commands. That's what he desires. I mean, in your mind right now, think about the most selfless person you know. There may be one or two people in your life where you think they're always thinking about others, always thinking about others. And now try to imagine if everyone in your gathering was like that. Would that be insane? Wouldn't it be something where you just looked forward to getting into an environment like that it's like my my kids on their birthday I just had a you know seven-year-old birthday party for for my daughter and she couldn't wait till her friends came over and now it's present time and you know as a kid you're just going gosh everyone came with a present for me of course she's looking forward to her birthday party but really, that's the way our gatherings were supposed to be, is that everyone brought a gift, that they brought a gift, that they came, we came to serve one another. It says that in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the way the church has to become, where everyone comes and realizes they have a gift. And I understand for some of us, we may have insecurities and go, well, these guys know more than me. They've been around the church longer than me. What would I have to These are the times when you have to trust the word of God over your own insecurities. Remember, we're studying this book because we're putting this above our feelings. And some of us may 
feel like we have nothing to offer. And then we read God's word and we go, oh, let me correct my thinking because I'm going to submit myself to this truth, which says I have something to offer this group. God's going to give me something. And that's why he says to eagerly pursue. We eagerly pursue these gifts because we love these people. Hopefully before you gathered and you're gathering whether, you you know, that, that, that during the week, You've been on your knees saying, God, please, please give me a gift. Help me to pursue. Give me some spiritual gift because I love these people I'm about to gather with. And I don't want to come empty handed. And you said that you would give me something to bless these people with. Did any of you coming this week pray that way? Pray for these people that you love. Remember we just talked about loving one another? And you love them so much that you want to build them up. So all week you've been praying for them and you've been praying for yourself. God, give me this gift because I want to bless this group of people. We live in a time when so few people gather to serve. And yet that's at the core of Christianity. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come down. on What was his example? To come down and say, everyone serve me now? And that's why it's so sickening that we've just kind of accepted the thought that, well, we live in a consumer generation, in a consumer-focused uh, country, and so when people come to the church, they come as consumers. You know, and they come and just go, okay, is this going to work for me? Is this going to work for me? Was the sermon going to work for me? Is this type of music going to work? Is the child care good enough for me? And, and so then we appease all of that. And worse yet, nowadays, people don't just come as consumers, but it's almost like they feel like they're consultants. Like, like people come in and go, let me tell you what's wrong with your church. You know, and, and, and you guys should do this different. You should do this different. You should, like we come with these different attitudes and God doesn't want us to come as consumers or consultants, but as, as Christ, Christians, as, as, as members of Christ that you come and you go, how can I serve this body? How can I give to these people? How can I build them up in love? Man, I, I, this is possible. It is possible. And I know as you think about it and as you, as you allow your mind to dream about these things, you know your heart leaps thinking, gosh, what if we all came with that mindset? What an amazing gathering. Who doesn't want to come to, their, to a party where people are going to bring them gifts? You know, who doesn't want to go to a party where they actually brought a gift that they're excited to, 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 to give to the other person? Man, haven't you had those times where you really thought through a gift and you worked for it and you couldn't wait to hand it to that person? Like, I know sometimes, you know, there's, there's just, uh, I'll buy a, a present for my wife like two weeks early before Christmas and it's just, I'm just dying to give it to her. Like, can I give it to you early? Can I give it to you early, honey? Because I just want to see her face when I hand it to her. Like, and she goes, you do this every year. You can't hold on. I go, well, I'm just so excited to give this to you. Like, that's the way the body should be. It's like, oh, God gave me a message. I have a testimony. Man, it gave me a word. I was blessed with a bunch of money. Or I was blessed, you know, I couldn't wait to come here and just serve you guys and bless you with this. Look, God wants this of his church where we all come as servants. And let's kill it. 
Let's kill the consumer mindset. Let's kill the consultant mindset. And let's gather together as Christians. And so as you talk today, let's just get real, get practical and say, how are we going to kill this? Because I am not going to live this way anymore. And we can't propagate this type of church anymore. Let's figure out, let's encourage each other to come as servants. All right. He said a lot, a very little bit of time. Um, I don't usually struggle with that, by the way. I say a lot in a lot of time. But uh, I, I, was, I was processing through this. So I, I've mentioned this before, and I ask this question. I ask this to myself all the time, and every now and then I'll, talk, I'll, ask, I'll ask our pastors this, or I'll ask our board this, and then sometimes I will ask the church this a few times a year. But, but I don't ever do it from the point of serving the body, and I think that's a good way to do this. The question I normally ask is, um, <clears throat> one of the best ways to analyze who you are, your spiritual walk or um, whatever the case is, is just, just stop time for just a second and say, you had the ability somehow to make every single person that's, that's part of the church, not uh, lost people, not unsaved people, but just take everybody that calls themselves a Christian, and you have the ability to take your uh, Christian walk and overlay it over them, that, that everything that you're doing will be copied exactly by everybody on the planet. And then you ask yourself, is anybody going to be reading the Bible? Is anybody going to be praying? What does their prayer life look like? Is anybody going to be praying for me or somebody else? Is anybody going to be praying for more than just my family? <laughs> All right, you see what I'm saying? Or the food. Um, is anybody going to get saved? If you, just, if you just take your Christianity and set it on everybody else, is anybody going to get saved? And I'm not saying by intentions. Remember the statement I usually say, we always judge um, ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their actions, right? I'm not saying about what you want to do. Just go over your track record. Just go over, the, say, the last two years, five years, one, six months. You could overlay that over everybody else. Would anybody be hungering for God? I mean, passionately hungering for God. Would, would your workplace be better or worse across the planet? <clears throat> so, Looking at this chapter, I think this is a good way to say it this way. Take anything in a ministry context, okay? Um, we're, we're stepping away from work. And all, everything else I said applies to work. It applies to everything. But let's limit it to just um, the church. Church at Briargate on a regular basis, whatever that, uh, per week, uh, per month, on uh, a year's focus. If you could take your spiritual walk and lay it over everybody at church at Briargate, what would be getting done? Would things be getting done or would they not be getting done? Would classes be being taught or not being taught? Would worship be happening or not happening? Would people be being greeted or not being greeted? Would sound audio be happening or not happening? You see what I'm saying? Here's one of the things. I had this, I had this guy years ago. Um, I was, this was probably my second or third year as a youth pastor, and, and I had this intern uh, come to the church, and he wanted to be a youth pastor, and he, 
I was, I was very old by that time. I was probably 21, 22. And uh, he was young. He was like 19. And he wanted to be a youth pastor. And he said, can I come be your intern for a while? I said, okay, let's set this up. And we set a time frame. I think he lived with us. Did he live in our house? Um, <clears throat> and, um, and he wanted to be a youth pastor. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. And he, he turned out to be a good youth pastor later. And I'm going to take some credit for that. But the, we, we had this barn, uh, like, a, like a metal shed thing that we parked our vans and we had tractors in there and all kinds of stuff. It was like three bay, five bay thing with whatever. So we had youth in there because I wanted to pull it out of the church. We were getting too loud for the church and our services. Our, our youth group got to about 40 or 50 and me and the pastor were having a competition who could have the most on a Wednesday. And uh, we started having youth at a different time and all this so we could have a full band and we could be loud and we could do all this kind of stuff. So we moved to this bus barn, I don't know, maybe five or six hundred yards from the church, I don't remember, something like that. So every week I'd go out there and I'd pull the vans out, I'd set, we had the stages where they'd fold down, set things on the wall, set up chairs, do all this stuff. It took me about two hours to get everything ready for youth. And so he came to be an intern and he started um, helping me do that. He'd come out here and help chair, do the chairs and all this kind of stuff. And then after three or four weeks, I told him, I said, okay, um, that's your job now. I'm not going to help you set up the, the building at all, that's going to be your job. So he did that for a couple weeks, and after maybe two weeks, I don't even think it was three, maybe two weeks, he came into my office and um, during the week, and he said, he said, this is dumb. I came here to be an intern so I could learn how to be a youth pastor, not set up chairs. I was like, really? What, what do you want to do? I didn't, want, I didn't say, oh, great, mighty one. I just said, so what do you want to do? He says, I want to speak in things. I said, I've got you on the calendar in, in a few weeks to speak. Right, but I'm just, I'm wasting, I'm wasting who I am setting up chairs. And I said, okay, you don't set up the chairs. You be the youth pastor. I'm going to go set up the chairs, which I've been doing for years. But you sit in this office and do whatever you think youth pastors do. I'm not sure what that is. I know what this youth pastor is going to do. He's going to go set up chairs. I went over and set up chairs. About halfway through, he comes walking in. I guess this is what youth pastors do, isn't it? Yes. What do you think we do? What do you, what do you think happens? This is one of the things that I, when I'm walking through here during the day and praying, this is one of the things I do is I just straighten the chairs. Because for some reason, it can't happen in this building. I don't know why these chairs cannot be straight. I don't know why. I don't know why no person but me can get these chairs straight, but that's the way it is. And so I get the chair straight. Now, I'm probably a little more anal than most people. I get that. But uh, I, I'm, I straighten the chairs. Because if why? If I don't, they're going to be crooked. That's why. You, you see what I'm saying? They're going to be crooked. This is, the, this is the thing that I've never, I think that, that most Christians never think about is, what does it take to really move the kingdom of God forward? What does it take to move a, a, a group of people forward? What does it take to make a church work? What does it take to make this happen? What are the statistics about how many people do things in church? <clears throat> it used to be, yeah, years ago, it used to be 20% of the people did 80% of the work. Um, Barna, about 10 years ago, said that's closer to 10% do 90% of the work nowadays. Now, 
let me be fair to church at Briargate. I think our percentage is higher than that, okay? I think we have a, overall, we have a bigger percentage of people that just do things on a regular basis, okay? With that being said, it's, it's, there's still many, many things around here that, that we're just really not doing right now that we have done before or we need to be doing that are not being done. Because why? So don't have people do it. Just don't. So here's the question. Now, you know, this is the thing, is I'm asking this right now, and most of the right now group are doing things. Most of you that are sitting here are doing things, okay? I get that. That's why you, people, if you're not doing things, you don't show up on Wednesdays most of the time, right? But if you're not, let this convict you. How, how well would church at Briargate work, and how well would we minister to people, minister to children, minister to babies, minister to mothers and fathers, and minister to people there in worship, minister to people in the foyer, at a coffee shop, all these things. How much of that stuff would move forward if everybody did exactly the amount that you do? pretty convicting, is it not? How, how much of this? I had a guy years ago tell me, his, his boys were in my youth group, his teenage boys were in my youth group, and he told me, he says, I'm not really the kind of guy that does things. He said, I just write big checks. Now, I didn't really respect that as much in the day because I didn't understand what he meant by big checks. About six months later, I walked into my pastor's office, and one of those big checks was sitting on the desk, and I was like, wow, he does write big checks. <laughs> holy mackerel, he writes big checks. But that being put aside, I argued with him sitting there that moment because I hadn't seen one of the checks yet. But uh, I, was, I was right the first time, not as right after I saw the check. Right? But uh, I told him, I said, that doesn't, you can't do that. You can write as many checks as you want. Nobody's going to get saved. Worship doesn't happen. Preaching doesn't happen. Teaching third graders doesn't happen. Well, if I write the check, all that stuff happens. How does it magically happen if you write a check? How does that magically happen? Now, I understand that some people have that, and that's part of their, what God has put them on this planet for. I do not disagree with that. I totally understand that, that some people God really blesses financially in order to be a blessing, specifically the church and the missions and things like that. But that's not an excuse why you don't get your hands dirty involved in things. You do stuff. Do things. One of the things when I first got here that I was impressed with was um, um, uh, Keith King, Senator King, teaches a Sunday school class. Senator King, for years, has taught a Sunday school class. There's a few things that just automatically happen in my head when I see that. I don't know that Keith and I have ever talked about this, but one of the things that I know that happens is he doesn't think that he has graduated into something bigger that can't do that. Plus, that's part of his gifting. Why wouldn't he do that for the kingdom of God? This is, now, you, you guys know, I, I'm a little different than some pastors with this. I really believe that most of what you do as a, as a Christian, as a minister, it happens outside the church. But it can't all happen outside the church. Some of it has to happen in the church. Or we don't have church. It has to happen in. Somebody has to do things like set up chairs, that kind of stuff. Now, again, I feel like I'm picking on us too much because I think those kind of things we do, but there's a lot of stuff around here that we need to have done that's not getting done that some of you are not doing stuff. Right. That's a good question, Aiden. 
Here's some of those things. Um, here's some things that we need right now that we really desperately do need. Um, Nikki is come and go with the coffee shop. She can be here sometimes. She can't. She couldn't be here tonight because she's not feeling well. Um, but she's, she's trying to do it by herself. She can't do it. Um, nobody can do it by themselves. So we need somebody that could be in charge of the coffee shop. That You don't have to make coffee, but you could schedule and you could organize and who's going to be in there and recruit. And then Nikki can train. She does a fine job of making the drinks. She could train people. Um, that's something. And you say, well, do we need a coffee shop? We don't necessarily need a coffee shop, but the reason we started it was why? Missions. We actually had a couple months where we were in the black. We sent like $17 to a missionary. It was amazing. <clears throat> now, what we're doing now is, um, Amy and I talked about it, we're just going to be sending a monthly amount to missionaries. Okay, take it and just send a monthly amount. We want that to come from the coffee shop. If it doesn't, we're still going to send money to missionaries. Right? Which is, by the way, the way we do missions around here. When I got here, our missions giving was thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And, our, and, our, and the giving from people to missions was hundreds of dollars a month. There had been differences in the past where people gave all that money, but when I got here, that it was not happening. We were giving thousands. People were giving hundreds. So that, where does that come from? General fund. It comes from the money we have to pay light bills and water bills and buy toilet paper. Okay? We're giving the missions. So uh, we had a discussion, one of our first board meetings when I was here, we had a discussion, do we cut a bunch of this missions to make up, because we were about $25,000 in the red per month at that time. That's encouraging, by the way, for a pastor when he's like, we're what? Do I get paid? You know? So uh, we were bleeding to death. So we said, do we cut our missions? And I said, guys, if you'll just, if you'll just, not that they were overly pushing them. I'm not trying to misrepresent the board. Um, but there was, a, there was a couple on the board that were saying, we, we must cut missions if we're going to survive. And I told them, I said, I would actually rather not take a salary. I'll go get a part-time job rather than cut these missions. Let's figure it out. Now, many of you would agree with that. Be careful before you agree too strongly because your salary is not directly connected to that. Are you following me on that? Mine is. So, but I believe in that. I believe in missions, and I believe if you'll do what God says, he'll honor you. Support missions and missionaries, and God will honor you. Okay? So we're going to give out of the cafe. If we get in the red or the black, we're still going to give to missions. We're still going to do it. It would be nice if we could be in the black. Some of you have the ability right here, better than more people, other people, not more people, better than other people, to run the coffee shop. You could do it. Why aren't you? Tell me. Why? <laughs> Sign up right now. Stand up for Jesus. You could do that. Uh, some simple things like um, we always need people in the booth back there. We always need people. We, 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 what's that? Ushers. We always need ushers. That's not hard. Ushering. You just go down and take people's money. You can even pretend like it's yours all the way down the aisle. Once you get to the back door, you can't pretend like a church anymore. But you, you could do that. I said this one time in a service. And this guy came up afterwards and he said, I want to start being an usher. And I thought, oh, because I knew the guy. But this is not good. I'm not making this up. And the next week he started get, taking the offering. And he would go like if Tim was there. He went and would hold the bag in front of Tim and say, Tim, you're going to give? <laughs> Tim. Tim, are you going to give? Tim, that's all you're going to give? I mean, that's lit. Am I, am I, and 
Yeah, he'd poke them. He had a bag with the handles. You guys remember those? He would poke them. I'm like, oh, Jesus, forgive him. Forgive me for letting him do this. <laughs> greeters. Guys, it is simple to be greeters. It's simple to be greeters. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see somebody standing out in the park on good weather days with a big cardboard sign that says, we're glad you're here. I know that sounds silly, but wouldn't that be cool? You drive in, somebody cared enough to make a sign. They must really be glad I'm here. I would like to see people walking through the parking lot on Sunday mornings opening doors for people, specifically older ladies, just like Linda. Open the doors. She raised her hand first for you up here, okay? She raised her hand before I said that. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, wouldn't that be just like we care? Like, hey, how you doing? At the car. But that takes people. We barely have enough people to have greeters. It's, it's like pulling teeth to get people to be greeters. I, I'll give you another one. Somebody in charge of the greeters. <laughs> now, some of this stuff we did have organized. Some of this stuff fell under uh, Shelby's covering as executive pastor, but after she's resigned, Sam's a worship pastor. He's not full-time. He can't do all the stuff that Shelby was doing, okay? We need some of these things. We just need some people that's got some organizational skills. You say, well, I hate opening doors. That's the worst thing on the planet for me. Okay, but can you organize people to open doors? If opening doors is horrible? You see what I'm saying? It's some people like to greet. Some people like to organize. If you can organize and recruit, recruiting is the biggest thing. Why? Because I'm saying this right here, we're not doing stuff. So you, when you try to recruit people, people don't want to do stuff. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult to get people to do stuff. But here's the thing that I have found for every second of my life. I have found that when you're engaged, you do things. When you really care, you do stuff. When you really believe in the direction, the vision of something, you do stuff. You don't just get happy about it. You do stuff. You believe in it. You do stuff. This is what always confuses me, is I see people that I believe are good Christians that don't do anything. And I always wonder, why don't you care enough? I guess you care enough about Jesus, but why don't you care enough about church at Briargate to serve, just to do something? Have, have I beat that drum enough there? Yes, Aiden. I have other things if you want more. <clears throat> I agree. Sure. Um, you know, I've done some of those kind of things over the years. It, when you start asking people to do stuff like that, doing it at a church is doing it at a business that's cool, but doing it at a church they feel different about. I would be very open to that. If you've got a handful of students that would be interested in doing some, I would. We've done that before, not here, but I've done that before at different times where we've had in, interns come in. We've had summer people come in and do certain things during the summer, and they're just learning. They're just getting experience in whatever area of life there is. 
sure. But, but here's the thing. That's a great idea, Aiden. There's, there's nothing wrong with that idea. I love it. Let's talk about it. But here's the other side of that. There's still some of us around here aren't doing it. That doesn't answer the core problem of us. It answers the problem of the coffee shop, right? Which, I, I hate to say it this way, but I'll take it. I'll take that. But it doesn't answer this. What's going on here? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say maybe a week and a half. Um, <clears throat> no, it's a legitimate question. There are certain things that I don't think you have to wait very long, okay? I, I'm literally saying like weeks, not months. This is something like a greeter. If you can say hello to someone, just going out and opening doors in the parking lot, even working in the coffee shop, even if you're just fairly new to this, those are the kind of things. We're not going to let you run the coffee shop. We're not going to let you count the money unless we know a little bit more about you. But um, there are some things that you could do from day one. And by the way, some people actually do that, okay? Uh, I've, I've been doing this forever again. And uh, I've had people that walk in, and two or three weeks later, they're doing something. They're ushering. They're, because they're doers, and they're not just going to sit around. They just can't sit around. They're not that kind of people. Um, they're, they're doers, I, I, Lynn and I are both of that way. When we go into settings, like district settings, or we're like our board meetings down in Texas and all these kind of things, day one, we're going to start doing. If you don't give us something to do, we're going to do something, which sometimes causes problems, right? Well, I'm going to do something. Uh, my dad used to say all, all my life, do something even if it's wrong. That's not the right idea, okay? I don't agree with that, but do something. So how long do you have to be? All of you have been here long enough, <laughs> okay? You've all been here long enough. Do something. Just get engaged. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, to be put in some type of leadership position, we need to know a lot more about you. We need to know... We need to know how you think about things. In fact, I think Tim and I were talking about this today, about one of the things that we do, one of the reasons that I have people come to the journey is so that I get to know you. It's, you're going to learn a lot in the journey, there's a, but some of it is I just get to know you and I get to know how you think. I'm not trying to assess you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to assess you. Um, I will do that along the way. But the goal is I want to get to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know how you look at things. What can you do? But usually within three or four weeks of the journey, you're almost done. You're, if, you, if you're really thinking and processing, you're probably already doing stuff in the church too. Yes, ma'am. Okay, um, I think maybe, let me, let me um, separate two terms for you and, and you process this. I'll use myself as an example. Um, I knew that I was called to be in ministry from young, from eight years old. 
I knew that, I knew that, I knew that. What I thought that was going to be, in fact, when Lynn and I first started uh, dating the second time, uh, we, we began to talk about being in ministry and being married and stuff like that. We were still in Bible school. And both of us said, well, I think that God has called us to be missionaries. I was adamant. God's called me to be a missionary. In fact, I was in a, um, a um, this was before I went to Bible school, the year before, and I was at a, at a Chi Alpha meeting, and I got saved in Chi Alpha, and I'm standing there, and this, um, this guy walks up to me who I'd gone to high school with, and he wasn't really a Christian up until just like a few months before that, and I'd, I'd been serving God for about a year now. And he said to me, he said, I think God's called me to ministry. I said, that's cool. And, he, and me and I had been best friends in high school. And, and we'd separated, and then we ended up at college the same place. And, uh, and he said, I don't know what that looks like. He said, I think God's called me to be a youth pastor. And I said to him, Mark, I know God has not called me to be a youth pastor. I will never be a youth pastor. God's called me to be a missionary. Yeah, I've learned over the years. In fact, my son and I had this conversation when he was here a couple weeks ago. Don't say never. Don't say never to God because it's almost a guarantee the reason you're saying never is because God's already stirring something in your heart and you're running from it. Plus, sometimes God just likes to go, no, (laughs) no. So I ended up being a youth pastor. But the next year I went to Bible school, I thought what my giftings were, I was always very musical. I just knew God was going to use me musically, and I was going to be, first, I was going to be a rock star. I mean, that was obvious. And so um, I was, um, yeah. Actually, when I was in college, I wasn't a band. I was a rock star for a little while. I was a rock star. I got video somewhere, I think. I don't know. But uh, um, I, I was going to be a rock star. I was gonna be, everything was music. I was going to be worship pastors, something music and all this kind of stuff. And, and um, the very first time I ever preached, uh, this girl in our, in our school, I think it was Linda's roommate, let me, her dad had a pastor of church, about 20 people, and, and um, let me, he didn't, I don't, he let me, that's really the answer, come and preach one Sunday night. And uh, it, was, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. It was so bad. And I, I had prepared three different messages. And I, I preached my first message. Man, I got what I felt like I was nailing. I, got, I finished, I looked down, I've been going about three and a half minutes. And so I preached my second message. <laughs> I had it in my Bible. I had all three of them folded up. I was like, they didn't know. They were, I was like, point two. <laughs> so... <laughs> I preached my second message. And I went way longer this time. I looked up in like five minutes. <clears throat> and everybody's just sitting there, you know. So I preached the third message. And I, I, don't, I don't even think I went 15 minutes, the whole thing. I, you know, and then I'm finished. And everybody's just, oh, you know, it was horrible. I looked out. And it's, and it's only the pastor and his wife and this girl from our, our college. Linda, my parents. That's the only people in the building. That's it. So I gave an altar call for salvation. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do, right? I'm a preacher of the word. I gave an altar call for salvation. See, if, if nothing, I've been consistent, right? So I gave an altar call for salvation. Over and over, I gave this altar call. Finally, the pastor got up and walked down to the front, and he said, Scott, I want to pray with you. I was like, you want to get saved? And he said, no, but we're going to have to end this thing sometime. So... <laughs> So he prayed with me, and everybody went home. So the reason I'm saying all that, there's a point. The the reason I'm saying all that is I never thought that I, 
I never thought that the thing that I would end up being the most comfortable and the most called and the most connected with was the public speaking part. I thought that was the furthest thing. I thought I was going to do all the other stuff. I could probably be a missionary because I can witness, um, although I'd never done that. I could probably witness. I could probably, you know, do something in ministry. But I never thought that my zone someday was going to be what I'm doing right now. I, I really believe that sometimes the reason God is calling you to do things is because he knows what your giftings are better than you know what your giftings are. There's a difference between competency and gifting, okay? I had no competency for public speaking, but God had gifted me for that. What I had to figure out how to do was get there. If I'll just be obedient in what God calls me to, it's actually pretty amazing how he can use me in the middle of that, okay? Um, another thing with, um, with the difference between competency and gifting and thing. I was very musical growing up, but I, I've always been very musical. I can play instruments and do things, but I never liked lead worship. I didn't know anything about that. And and um, I got to my first church as a youth pastor, and I'd never really played the piano. I played around. My mother gave me lessons for like three weeks, and then it almost killed me, and so we stopped having the lessons, And uh, which I still hold against her to this day, by the way. It's bitter in my heart. But um, So I'd never really played the piano. I could play everything else, and I could play around the piano. When I got to my new church, I was sitting there. I'm scared to death. I'm going to be a youth pastor. I don't know what to do. I didn't have a worship leader. I didn't have anything. It was just me. There was, there was, it was a church of about six or 700 people, and there was one teenager in the whole church. It was all old people and some young people, but no teenagers. I'm like, I don't have a worship band. I don't have anything. What am I going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to do it. I only knew how to play chords like this. That's all I'd ever done. So I found a song with two chords. There's some of those out there, just two chords, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, mix them up, by, you know, but just two chords over and over, and I would sit and, and I would play that song, play that song, and I'd sing it, and I'd go into the sanctuary, because I'd be there very early in the morning, um, I had to be at, at church at six in the morning, and so I'd get at the church, and I, and I would, nobody was there till 10, but I had to be there at six, that's a whole other story, but, so I'd just sit down at the piano and just start playing and singing, playing and singing. And pretty soon, the Holy Spirit would start moving in that place. It's just me in this huge sanctuary, just the piano. And I'd just sing by myself. This is before Lynn and I got married. And I would just sit there and I'd sing. And I'd worship and I'd pray an hour, two hours. I'd do that every single morning. And one day, I realized I'm playing all over the piano. I don't know exactly when it happened or how it happened, but I went from this, and I don't remember like a day when I got better. And, and I didn't have chord chart. I didn't have stuff that you can, like you can go look at what a chord is. I didn't do that. I had to sound everything out. I, I, I'll tell you this. I, I did not know how to do this. this is, the reason I'm saying all this is God gave me the competency. I had the calling, but I didn't have the competency. God gave me, supernaturally gave me the competency to play the piano. I've told people that before. They're like, What? Here's, here's how I can prove it. I didn't know what a chord was. I didn't know, like, F. I didn't know what an F chord was. So I would, I would play, and I'd sound But I'd play bass and guitar and stuff like that, but I didn't know what the chords were. I was just playing by ear. My family all played by ear. I didn't know what anything. In fact, I didn't even know, like, if I was playing in G, I didn't know that the C and the D were the fourth and the fifth. I didn't know that stuff. I would just play these chords because I'd learned these chords. My dad would say numbers. I played by numbers. Say one, two, 
or four, five, four. And I just do that. So it didn't matter what key I was in. That's why I can play in any key. Because it doesn't matter what key you're in when you do that one. So I'm sitting at the piano and I was playing and then I began to play and I'd play, what's a suspended? I don't know, but this sounds like it, what a suspended should sound like. I don't know what a suspended was. I didn't know, but I would just, oh, that sounds like, oh, that's good. And then I would have a confirmation of my spirit. This is suspended. So I'd be like, all right, that's suspended. And I told somebody that about five years later, and they're like, you're crazy. That doesn't work that way. They'd say, how do you know what a second is? Well, I counted two. And I played that. Right? I didn't. I'd been singing that song, Another Hallelujah, for years, and I had no idea what I was singing. Okay, let me explain that so you guys, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. The song is, um, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think written by Cohen. Was that his name? Cohen? Well, the song tells you how to play the song. It goes like this. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. I had no idea what those things were. I just played along with them like, fourth, the fifth, the minor. It was literally, I had been playing that song maybe ten years, and then one day I was like, the fourth, this is, the fifth. Oh, you know, I had this revelation. I've been playing that song for years. I didn't know what a fourth and a fifth was. But I would sit down on the piano and I would just play and I would sing. And it was just me and God. And I can tell you, I, I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. God taught me how to play the piano. He did. And, and I can tell you today, one of the most wonderful moments that I can have is, I, I don't do it late at night anymore because there are other people in the house. But when Lynn and I first got married, my favorite time to play the piano was 2 or 3 in the morning. I'd do it all the time. I'd get up, I couldn't sleep, and I'd get up and just go sit down on the piano and just worship. Just sit there and cry and worship for hours. There's something about just sitting down, because why? The calling was already there. I'm going to worship. I'm going to lead people and worship. I'm going to carry people forward and worship. But the competency wasn't there. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to play this stuff. God gave me the competency because he already gave me the call. As every one of you in here, you have calls on your life. They may not make any sense at all. But just step out into it. Let me use this example. This was said to me years ago. I was probably a teenager or early 20s when this was told me. And this has always stuck in my mind. God called Peter out of the boat. He didn't have a competency to walk on water. He didn't have ability to walk on water. That was supernatural. But God called him out of the boat. Just step out of the boat and let God worry about what's under your feet. Well, God, let God worry about the stuff. Just do what he tells you. Now, there are some times when, when somebody says to me, I think God has called me to do this. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I'm 5'6". I'm God's called me to be a professional basketball player. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you no, but I'm not going to tell you yes. You understand what I'm saying? I've had some people before that have done that musically. We were, uh, Tim and I were talking about this before service. So he, he was saying how he, he feels like he could be better and he needs to do it. And I said, you're fine. I have met some people in my life that they need to stay away from music. They just do. They need to stay away from music. I get that. What's interesting is when they say, no, that's what God's called me. It's my ministry. It's okay. Then maybe you could do something else with the music, like run the sound. Because God didn't give you the ability to sing. I understand that. Sometimes competency, you need to figure that out because some things demand certain amounts of competency. 
But for most things, the calling will make a way for itself if you'll just listen to the calling. Okay? Yeah, right, yeah. I'm the humblest of everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not in my giftings. Yeah. 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 I, you're, you're not the norm by saying that, but you do agree with me by saying that. I, yeah, it does. So, <laughs> yes, it does. So, Here's the thing with me. We did years ago, we did like 15, 20 years ago, we, we started doing some of the gifting tests when they came out and all this stuff. And immediately it began to really um, bother me a little bit because it, it began to, what you do is you say, well, this is my gift set. Now, now I'm going to do something within this. Or, and I would have people come to me to say, Pastor, here's my gifts. What can I do? I, I think you've missed the point. If you've got to come to me, you've already got your gift. But what happens is we limit it. And I can tell you, you give me a gift test when I'm 18, it's different than when I'm 30. And it's different when I'm 40, and it's definitely different when I'm older. <laughs> yes, Linda. Uh, I I would say a good starting point. This is more of a, we're kind of stepping into a maturity discussion in this too. I think a good starting point for a new Christian, somebody that's never done anything, is trying to do something that you know you would naturally enjoy or you would be comfortable at. I'm not disagreeing with that, okay? If you've never done anything in the church and you, you're like, you don't, you don't start off with the sixth grade boys Sunday school class your first round, okay? They'll eat you alive. You'll never do anything in church again. But maybe start with that. But as you become more mature and you grow in the Lord, you need to learn to step out into arenas you're not as comfortable with because you know you're mature enough to still handle God's call on your life to accomplish things. Your, your spiritual maturity will carry a lack of competency in certain areas, okay? And if nothing else, maybe you bring somebody along beside you that can help you in a competency aspect of what you're trying to accomplish. Right? You say, well, I can't teach... Uh, sixth grade boy Sunday school class, but I know God is calling me to do that. All right, get like a, um, a high school boy to go in there with you. Yes. All right, a stun gun. You'd be surprised. You can get those cow prods. They don't, it's not like a stun gun. Stun gun, one shot, it's out for a while, it's got to recharge. Cow prods, you could just keep pop, 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 pop. So people on the recording are like, that is not nice. Yeah. Tim. 
yeah, God, I want to do this for you. And let's take the coffee shop. I want to do this for you. And then we also get to give money to missions. We also get to have people enjoy coffee. And we also get to sit and talk with people and do things. But God, I'm really doing this for you. Okay? Yeah. Right. This is something that when I, when I have to be careful how I say some of these things because we can misunderstand exactly what I'm saying. When I get up here to speak, I'm not speaking for you. Do you understand what that means? I'm doing the best I can to say, God, what are you telling us? Tell me what you're telling us. Sometimes some sermons are more difficult for me because I really believe that God is telling me something that f- for you, you, you may not see it as difficult, but I'm not getting up. This is one of the things that um, I've had this discussion many times over the years. I don't know, even know if I've said this to Sam yet, but I've had this discussion with many worship pastors over the years. Every worship pastor I've ever worked with, I've talked to about this. There's a mentality, and if you go get a degree in worship ministry and stuff like that, they will, they will tell you this stuff, okay? I think they're wrong, but they'll tell you this stuff. When you're leading worship, pay attention to everybody out there, get a feel of what's going on out there, and kind of judge what you're doing according to what everybody else is doing. I don't care what anybody's doing. I'm going to lock myself in with God, and we're going to have a good time. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to play the best music I can play for him. And uh, sometimes, huh? It, it, it exactly is. The, and, and even right in the middle, this is something, this is something for me personally. Um, this, this drives people like Sam crazy that are leaders <laughs> of worship. Whatever instrument I'm, I'm on, you're supposed to do a certain thing, right? It's very difficult for me to do that because I'm expressing myself. I'm going to express myself all over the place up here. Just, and so even from one service to the next, I'm not playing the same thing. I'm not even close to the same thing. Because I'm, I, I, I get in that groove. I get in there. And there's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's, a, um, it's as close to an out-of-body experience as I think you can have. As a musician, I can sit down to a piano, guitar, it doesn't matter. I'm not looking at what I'm playing. I'm not. I, I just am enjoying, God, this is, my, this is my offering to you. This is the best that I can do to hand something to you. That, I can't imagine uh, giving God an offering that looks exactly the same every single time I do it. We, this isn't an assembly line. This is my spirit. This is my heart. This is, this is who I am. Sometimes some of the people up here will give me my, my kids led worship with me for years, sometimes Josh. Some of the people up here will give me a hard time because I'll do a song that's one time totally different than I've done it before. I just see it as their weakness, but they see it as, Dad, why do you do that? My kids, you me. Josh even said the other day, he said, hey, remember that song when you led it like that but it didn't sound anything like the song? I was like, I was expressing myself. <laughs> um, I love to do that. Why? Because it's an offering. God, I'm going to make an offering for you today. Um, I, God's going to like it no matter what. But sometimes I think he's like, mm, wow, that's unique. My wife's an amazing cook. She can create. She can do all kinds of things. Very, very rarely does she create something that I'm like, that's bad. But every now and then, it doesn't mean I, it doesn't mean I hate her. It doesn't, I'm just like, what? She made burritos for us one time, and she got chili powder and cinnamon confused. My kids still call them uh, uh, 
Thanksgiving burritos. <laughs> they were horrible. Yeah. But, but it's not like I dislike her. And it's not like she wasn't trying. It's like it's still it's still part of the experience. And the, the cool thing is, is she's made a lot of burritos over the years, but we talk about that one the most. One time when one time Linda was leading worship. We had microphones with cables. And uh, she had just got these new boots that had like five-inch heels. She's up there singing. You know, she gets into it sometimes, and she was really getting into it that morning. She was singing, kind of dancing around, and she's worshiping, praise God, and she stepped onto one of those microphone cords with that boot, and that boot just went whoop, and Linda hit the ground. She hit the ground hard, rolled a little bit. You did hit the ground. I think you did. So in my... In my in my world, you rolled off the platform down the aisle. So, well, this is the thing. I started laughing. So I was on the keyboard. I started laughing so hard I couldn't, I couldn't see the keyboard. I was crying. I was like, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Both my boys were part of the team. They stopped. They were both. We had one guitarist like, come on, guys, we can do it. You know, that kind of thing. I was like, I can't. I just have to take a moment. You know, that kind of thing. Linda jumped up and she started leading worship again. Some people laughed, some people were. Did, did, that, did that hurt the service? No. It didn't, it didn't even really matter, except that I get to tell this story forever. It didn't really matter. Because why? It wasn't about, it wasn't about doing something wrong or right. It was, we were all trying to worship. You just make a mistake. You just do something, whatever. I, I believe the same thing about gifts of the Spirit, too, by the way, which he addresses a little bit in the book. I believe strongly. We, we talked about this, I think, uh, Monday in our staff meeting, but guys, I really, I really would, I pray all the time, and I really would like our church to step out and give to the Spirit more often. I would. Man, I pray for that. I would love that. And the, and the conversation I get regularly is, well, what if I make a mistake? First, I don't think the way we would define mistake would really be that much of a mistake to God. You say, well, I feel like God's putting this on my heart. God loves you. And you say that out loud? That's not a mistake. That's not a mistake. Did God want you to tell everybody? Maybe, maybe not. But it's not a mistake. It's not like God said, oh, man, I'm punishing you for this one. Right? If it's more, you know, like judgment kind of stuff, be a little more in with, okay, Lord, is this from you or not? Right? But assuming that it's edification, just jump out there. Try. I wish our church, we talked about Monday morning that sometimes we get, people get worried about whether we're going to get hokey or, you know, turn into Toronto blessing or something else. I'll take care of that, guys. It's my job, all right? I'll take care of that. You guys know me well enough. I'm not going to let us be goofy. But right now, I'd like us to at least approach goofy. At least, at least look at it on the horizon. Get close enough we know there's goofy out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let, let's, let's, the Holy Spirit wants to use us. Let's be used. Let's do some stuff. Me too.
She did, and she did fine. Trisha. Yeah, you, you actually will change people's lives. Maybe something simple, but it'll change somebody's life. They'll be different because of just some time and energy you took doing something. This is one of the reasons, and Aiden, you were right about this. About we, we, we talk about this regularly around here. The board has told me this. Our pastors have told me this. You know, the, the homeless guy on the streets told me this. Uh, I need to say this stuff more. But here's one of the reasons that I don't. Because I don't want people just to go, well, I guess I should do something. All right, I'll do something. Oh, that, 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 that almost hurts my spirit a little bit. Well, I guess if nobody else will do something, I'll do something. I'm not going to like it, but I'll do something. I, I think about that in like a, a dating relationship or something. Like if, if I had to ask Linda, Linda, would you like to go to dinner tonight? <sighs> I guess so. I mean, I'm going to have to eat something. I might as well eat it looking at your face. You know, I, 
Father, might I do the dishes? Yeah. And so, um, so like, at some point, you know, maybe, maybe I would see it, but maybe it's like, yeah. 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 Just go ask somebody. Because we've had this discussion even in our pastor meetings and, and leadership meetings and stuff where people say, well, nobody wants to do anything. And I'll even get, like, testy over this. How many people have you asked this week? Don't say nobody will do something until you ask. But I'm saying for me, as the pastor, I don't like to do that because it's different coming from the pastor than somebody else. I'm a what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I will, specifically if somebody, if God really puts something on my heart for somebody, you know, you need to do this. I'll do that kind of thing. But I do tell, or you can ask any of our pastors around here, I'm always like, just recruit somebody. Just ask them. Go ask them. Go ask them. Go ask them. To the point where I've had, I've had the conversation with our pastors, okay, I will take you by the hand and I will ask five people Sunday morning and I guarantee you I can get at least one volunteer. I've had that discussion with our pastors. I'm not trying to be uh, negative on our pastors, but guys, this is difficult on, on everybody when you have to beg and beg and beg and beg to get somebody to do something. It just gets old after a while. And so then our pastors are frustrated and I, they're coming to me and saying, nobody wants, and then I'll say, okay, let's go recruit. Because part of the responsibility of that Ephesians uh, apostolic mentality of, of church development where the offices of the church, pastors, apostles, uh, evangelists, preachers, motorcycle riders, whatever's in that little uh, set of scripture there. The job description, as a pastor, my job description according to the Bible, not according to Church of Bargate, which is different, by the way. My job description according to church, uh, the Bible is I'm supposed to teach other people how to do what I'm doing. An evangelist doesn't evangelize. They teach other people how to evangelize. That's what those five offices are. And that is challenging on, on leadership to really just constantly be going back and going back. and. It's easier. And this, this is one of the things that in our last church, Lynn and I actually went round and round to the point where we just stopped talking about it. She was wrong. She wouldn't listen to my leadership. But that, to the point where Linda's a very competent individual. She'll just do it. And I told her for years, Linda, train somebody to do that recruit somebody. to. It's easier to do it myself. It's easier to do it. Do not make me get another secretary. She's like, go ahead. No, you're going to do this. She's the best secretary I ever had. I, but she wouldn't train anybody. She just do it. Because why? You get tired of people saying, I don't know. I got to wash my hair. You see? So, so some of it is, some of it is, there is a responsibility to say, do this. As the pastor, I will do that limited. Our pastors, I'm expecting them to do that all the time. Again, it sounds different coming from the pastor. Sometimes people will do something just because the pastor asked them, uh, and, it's, and it's not healthy for anybody. It's hard for me to assess really as good as our pastors can who are working with these people on a regular basis. It's harder for me to assess whether this person would be a good fit in that setting. 
It's much harder for me to assess that. They're better at it, and they need to be recruiting to accomplish that. You, you see the difference in what I'm saying? Um, but somewhere also, I just want somebody to say, Father, I want to do the dishes. And so let me throw this uh, caveat out, or maybe a disclaimer. You and Michael both are saying something very important, but it's because your heart's already there. You know how many people, I and pastors of our church, leaders in our church, have gone up to people and said, you know what, you really need to be doing this. No. I don't want to. I don't have the time. I can't. I don't. I don't. That's. So if I go to you, Tim, and I say, I, I really believe I could go to you and ask you to do about anything right now, you'd be like, okay, even if you hated it, you'd be like, all right, I, you know, but that's because it's already in you. It's already in here. This was what I was talking about last week when we were looking at some of the things. I wrote a little note to myself on the side that I just don't understand this. I don't understand why somebody would not want to do something. I, I do, it does not connect in my head. I've been watching it for years, but I can't imagine walking in church, sitting down, um, uh, listening to a sermon, worship, or whatever, getting up and leaving, and doing that week after week after week. I can't imagine that. I gotta do something. I gotta engage somehow. I gotta. Somebody needs something. I could just hold a door, just do something. And by the way, I wouldn't mind working in the nursery. If I was, if I wasn't the pastor, I'd go work in the nursery every now and then. Now, I'd have to have an assistant because I'm not going to change diapers. But I, I love to work with the kids and play the guy, sing little church songs and stuff. I love that. I don't understand when people don't want to get involved. I really just, it, I don't understand it. I, I, I know this is a hard saying, but this is really my heart. Why do you even go? Why are you even part of it? Why are you even here? It's like going to the movies. Didn't he say that last week? It's like going to... Maybe it was this week. Going to the movies, getting your bucket of popcorn, you see that person over there, but they're not part of your life or existence, or you don't care. You may, hey, you know, ah, it was a funny thing. And, you know, then you walk out different doors and you, you don't ever interact. And I, we do that in church. I literally don't understand that. I, I just don't get it. And so we're, we're, we're past time.
Yeah. Yeah. And everybody knows you. You're the parking lot guy. You're yeah. The And it's really because you're the only parking lot guy that'll hang in there. Well, we, we've actually built this into our culture around here. One of the things that um, Allison has as part of, part of the uh, structure of life groups is we want you to take a life group for a, a short period of time. Do, do a life group for a month and a half, six weeks. Do, just do a lesson. Just do like a Bible study. I'm gonna, we're going to do a Bible study about uh, manna for six weeks. That's it. At the end of six weeks, you're done. Just do something like that. Maybe three months. Now, some like like some of the teachers, like uh, uh, Paul and that class, that just they're just continuing on with that. But and that's good too. But if we want to make sure that you have the ability, this is part of our structure because I grew up in the church. I know if you ever volunteer for something, you're going to die in that position. You're never going to get out of it, ever. And so you you, you we want to make sure that you know. You can come to us and say, hey, I just want to do this for a time frame. In fact, some of our leaders right now that are doing things in the church, they have time frames. Um, like Perry's working with the Royal Rangers on Wednesday nights, but he's only doing it. I mean, he's already been working. He's been working for a long time. He'll continue to do that. But he's in charge of it right now because Gordon left, and he's going to do it through December. Okay, we, that didn't bother us. Okay, do it through December, Perry. We'll talk about it then. If you say, I hate being in charge of Royal Rangers at that time, okay. Well, we're not going to. We want to make sure you know you don't have to do something forever. If you'll just do something, you're better than most, you're trying harder than most, we're going to honor that. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to do a life group, if you want to... Um, some of our uh, worship musicians... Now, when I grew up, when you got on the worship team, that's all you did. You did that every week forever. You never, you never took a week off. You were the... I was drums until I was like 13. I started playing the bass. I played drums every week. Didn't matter. I didn't get, I was sick, <laughs> you know, but our, we have some musicians here that play once a month. Yeah. And, and Sam, and I, and he, Sam and I have even talked about this. We want to make sure that they have a one-off even if they don't want to. Okay. Um, because if you make, you're not playing this week. You've played three weeks in a row. You're not playing. But I want to. Well, just take a week off. Guess what? When they come back the week after, they're excited to be there. But if they never get that week, pretty soon they leave the church. I've seen this all my life. They get so far out, they don't know what to do with it. They can't quit because they don't feel like that's what Christians do. So they leave the church. We just would like you to take a week off. You don't have to, to build a house in hell. Just take a week off. Right? So, yeah, that's part of it. We want to make sure that that's built into the system, too, uh, with this. So, we're leaving it at this. Serve. I'm using terminology like do something. But the best way, and this is more what Trisha was saying, just serve somebody. Serve. Do something. Serve people. Start a life group. Make coffee. Open a front door. Yes, ma'am. You like coffee? Is that what you said? Oh, I think she likes coffee. Um, 
Yes. Oh, you're, I thought you were telling me. I was like, I know who Kate is. So, um, okay. All right. So how do you think we should pray about this? Yeah, that's actually pretty close. Don't pray God help somebody do something. <laughs> Lord, I don't think everybody's listening. Help them do something. God, what do you want me to do? Some, some of you, and I get this, some of you are overworked here. We're, we're really limiting some people in our church from doing more. There are not many. You know who you are because we've said this to you. If you. If we haven't said it to you, do more. But there are some people we've said, you know, you need to limit yourself to this because they'll do everything. Why? Because other people aren't, and they're, they're, they're vacuum fillers. I'm going to do. I'm going to do. Guys, let's do something. God, what do you want me to do? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our spirit and our hearts. Lord, I am, I am so privileged to work at Church of Bargate. And I'm so privileged to minister and preach and do small groups open the door for people. Lord, work on toilets. Lord, I'm so privileged, and I don't want to ever take that for granted. And God, I pray for everyone in this room and everybody that calls Church of Briargate their home, that they could see some of the fun and the joy and the fulfillment that comes along with some of that stuff. God, we, we, need, we need to be doing for you, and you know that. You built us that way. So God, stir our hearts right now to think about what that's going to look like. What are we going to do? Where are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And, uh, and then, Lord, help us just to get engaged, do things. And, uh, Lord, I know you'll honor that. I know you'll honor it. You'll give us abilities. You'll do all kinds of things. So, God, we, we acknowledge you in all of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty.